shall we say the man of the owl yeah um so and um what is the plot the plot is is actually pretty simple and i feel like very straightforward um but i do know that it also differs quite a bit from the book because the book um the book is much longer but they couldn't actually fit all of it in one film so they had originally thought to make this one and then a sequel to cover the rest of it. Um, but the sequel never happened because this film bombed hard. Like it yeah. straight, straight into the ocean um, yeah. Yeah. and sunk. So yeah, so would you like to tell us a little bit about um, the film itself, our characters, the world? Okay, okay, this one, this one will be, I mean, Jupiter Ascending was something. There's a there's a there's a bit of a double bill we've done now, isn't it? Of these uh, mad sci-fi adventures, but um, mm -hmm. so the story is set in I think the year three thousand, as every good science fiction story has to be, and uh, basically Earth has been ruled for the past thousand years by a, a race of aliens I believe called the Cyclos, and um, they're basically like galactic, intergalactic rulers. They take over planets and harvest the resources and stuff like that. And humanity is basically enslaved by them. And uh, we start the narrative off following uh, a character named Johnny Goodboy Tyler, <laughs> played by the incomparable Barry Pepper, uh, whose career is still active, I believe, but uh, I mean, amazingly, after this film, it's still active. But uh, so yeah, so he's a he's a human slave, and he sets out on an adventure. I'm not entirely sure why he does sets out on an adventure, but it doesn't really matter. And uh, but eventually, he's captured by two of these uh, cyclos. One of them played by John Travolta. By the he goes by the name of Turl, uh, and his buddy. <laughs> uh, Kerr, played by Forrest Whitaker, and these are like 13 foot tall. Um, dreaded, freaky-looking aliens with bad teeth, terrible skin, um, 
and they're basically bent on yeah mining Earth's resources until there's nothing left. Uh, and John Travolta's character of Turl, he's kind of uh, shunned by the organization he works for by this race of intergalactic, you know, uh, government essentially. And he's basically been tasked with overseeing Earth for many, many cycles, they call them, as punishment. You know, they always talk about Earth as a stinky, smelly, horrible planet. And um, he's, he's kept there far longer than he, he wants to be. So he basically starts scheming. Uh, and this is where the plot gets a bit gibberish because he decides to scheme and scheme his way out of this punishment by uh, choosing a small group of humans to go and mine gold in a high radiation area uh, with which he'll then, I don't, I think with the gold, he wants to then either blackmail his superiors or just get rich. I can't remember which one of the two it is, but basically he's trying to, he's trying to, his, his ultimate goal is to uh, get off planet earth because he hates it there. And to do that, he's basically using a small yeah, band of, of humans to, to do his bidding. So one of those band of humans is our amazing main character, Johnny Goodboy. Uh, full of personality, this guy. Um, and uh, But Johnny has other ideas, doesn't he? He wants to rebel. Yes, of course, because he, you know, has a, he's a strength and, a, and, and the, the want for freedom. And yeah. he doesn't want to be a slave anymore. So he and a few of his merry men essentially hatch a plan <laughs> to... <laughs> um, to Steal from the rich trick. and give to the poor. Yeah, yeah, and to, to trick um, Tell, um, but in reality they're going to, I mean, spoiler alert, they're going to bomb the shit out of Tell's planet. <laughs> um, yeah. But, um, and he only is able to do this because he's actually taught uh, information. I can only say like he's taught like the ways of the universe. So he is taught via hologram from a previously conquered world um, about all the kind of knowledge and um, languages of Tell's, Tell's home, home place as well, the Cyclos language. Um, and so he actually becomes incredibly intelligent and can communicate with Tell, which I guess is why Tell doesn't just kill him after many, many, many arguments between them. Um, and he leads his rebellion um, to, I guess, kind of just free his people who are all being kept in this yep. kind of greenhouse-like um, place <laughs> somewhere yep. in America. Um, yeah, and that's kind of the whole plan. Um, so it's, it's pretty straightforward. To be very yeah, I you. think just, just to, to talk about the plot then. So the, what the plot we've just described is kind of like a archetypal, you know, science fiction action plot, you know, where yeah. you've got the uh, rebellious hero fighting back against the powers that be and trying to, you know, uh, overthrow his overlords, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Uh, but the way, the manner in which this is, this, there's so much to this film to talk about really, but why well, I'd say on its on, on on as always on paper on its basic roots, it's quite a simple story as you say, uh, and it's been I think you've probably seen elements of it done in tons of I've I've found a lot of parallels between this and the Matrix in some ways because it's about one guy leading a band of people into you know a revolution you know, against the system. It's kind of a it's a it's a thing we've seen lots of times, but the the way in which the film is then put together is is quite astonishing because it's like it was directed and assembled in the cutting room by a madman and I, it's hard it's hard to know why isn't it just to talk about that overall it's hard to know why when you sit down and watch the film why it happened that way um mm. i mean just as an example so Throughout the entire film, uh, it's basically filmed in a Dutch angle, which is basically where the camera is tilted to one side slightly. Uh, and as you told me before, Xiao, the reason for that is that the director wanted the film to, to look like a comic book. Yeah. Right? And there's so much to do with that sentence. Like one, comic books don't 
aren't you don't tilt your head on the side when you read a comic mm-hmm. book. Two, this was a novel. <laughs> uh, so why why did he want to do that? Uh, mm. And three, the, uh, this, I only mention this because it's a huge aspect of this film. The whole film is tilted on one angle, left or right, and it's maddening because you, you you get so disorientated. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but yeah, so you got the basic plot, and it, you know the way we've described it, it might sound a bit gibberish, but you know there's lots of sci-fi plots with races and and alien species and stuff which do sound a bit madcap but underneath is a basic structure and that that is there uh and so obviously our job as always is to watch these old films and draw something good out from them what can we learn from them yes i guess i guess i think i personally think now we've outlined the plot a good place to start is to talk about how this film came to be you know Mm. because that's more interesting than the film in some ways and yeah and it also will then inform our understanding of the film a bit more because, like like I just said, why would you film the entire film to one angle, left or the right? The reason for that is because this is not, this doesn't seem like a normal film production. It seems like a, a series of mad errors. Like we said before, it felt like everyone involved in this film tripped into it. Like they 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 were walking down a corridor and they opened the wrong opened the wrong door and walked into a room like oh my god what what the hell is this and then the yeah. door just closed behind them <laughs> all locked in there together and someone's just like make a film make a film make the script and I the first that... oh. go on <laughs> um i do think that like the dutch angle excuse like it almost feels like i don't know it almost feels like they tilted the camera when they shot it and then and then didn't realize and then they were like oh shit we gotta make the whole film look like this <laughs> it's the only explanation it does not look i also during the editing process when you're putting it all together how do you not realize that everything just looks so confusing and nothing is centered which is obviously a choice as well but like how would you find that appealing mm. to look at you know it's not it's not really aesthetically no the most <laughs> calming effect no. on your eyes no it's so. it's, it's and but yeah like, so, so yeah, to, to, to talk about the background of this, and so this is obviously a, a novel by Elrond Hubbard, the founder of Scientology, and he obviously wrote, I think I'm right in saying he wrote more words than any author has ever written in history. And, um, and uh, this is just one of his many masterpieces. And um, he tried to make it when he was a director well, not a director, he wanted to be a film director in the 1980s. And he got screenwriters together to do it, and he got producers to do it. And, um, but he ended up passing away in 1986 before he could do it. So thankfully he couldn't. He, I mean, but rest in peace, but thank you that you didn't, have, you didn't make this film back then. Because we, we had it made eventually, and I wish it hadn't been. Um, <laughs> but then in the 1990s, John Travolta comes along, and he had a bit of a resurgent period after Pulp Fiction. And as is always the case in Hollywood, when you have a hit, you know, and he was nominated for an Oscar, you can use your clout, your newfound clout, to suddenly get stuff made that you want to get made. And that I saw him being quoted as saying that, you know, now that we have this power, I think he said this in like a Newsday article or something like that. He said, now that we have this power, why would, would, you not, why would we not use it to make the things we want to make? Uh, and he chose, because as he is a Scientologist, he chose to make Battlefield Earth, this novel by Elwin Hubbard. And um, he floated it around to all the studios and none of them wanted to touch it because its affiliation with Scientology was, was, you know, it was a contentious thing. Like Scientology is a weird contentious issue. It's not like everyone accepts it as a religion, you know. And uh, so he ended up falling at the feet of this guy, didn't it? This... <laughs> What was his name? The guy who ended up, you know, spearheading John Travolta? J.D. The writer? No, like the guy, so there was this guy, the guy who runs that company that picks up. Oh, I have no idea, but it's the company called Franchise Pictures or something. Yes, 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 yes. So this, yes, Um, company Franchise Pictures, run by, um, his name is Eli Sahama, Samaha, sorry. And he was a former dry cleaning mogul turned nightclub owner. (laughs) specializing in rescuing stars pet projects so he built yeah. a company to basically stroke the egos of uh super rich megastars and to get their films made 
for less money than the studios could offer them. So that at least they would get made essentially. And uh, as a result, go on, sorry. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, um, I think John Travolta really, really pushed for it for like years. And he essentially kind of, um, he came at odds with his agency as well, who obviously advised against it. And, but he, this was like just such a passion project for him and he was willing to lower his rate, which was 20 million to, I think it was 15 million. Um, and he put his own money in, which is about 5 million as far as I can tell. Um, and so for better or worse, he really, really cared for the film and, um, he really wanted to see it on the screen. And I don't know whether that was like, you know, cause obviously there's issues with Scientology and don't know whether this was, was he pressured to do it? But then obviously then after the film came out, I think Scientology almost wanted to distance themselves from it. That's how bad it was or badly received it was at the time. Um, so it kind of just left John Travolta's like career in the dirt a little bit. Um, and then I don't think he's recovered since, has he? Well, I mean, Maybe hairs hairspray. <laughs> I don't you know, know, he had, he had this, um, big success with Pulp Fiction and his deci first decision as soon as he gets that is to make what is considered one of the worst films of all time but mm. it just goes to show like the clout that you have as a star uh, in the film industry to get these things made and um, it's mad like this it's the whole point the whole thing about the film industry is that you're basically as important as your last big hit you know and yeah. um, that that is a that is a, a theme that continues to today. Things get made today. Like look at um, <laughs> look at Cats as a more modern example, right? You got Tom, was his name Tom Hooper? Yeah. Uh, with those big, you know, success stories with Les Mis and then Danish Girl. He won Oscar, yeah. Danish Girl won a few Oscars, I think. And then he was given free range to go off and do Cats. And it's, you know, it's just an example. Of, I'm, you wonder with this, the same thing as we talked about with Jupiter Ascending, these creatives, they don't get anyone to say no. They just go on and on and on, you know? Um, so, yeah. Yes, that's true. That's true. Although apparently, like, even people saying no to him didn't stop the guy, so... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean... So yeah, the whole the whole how it came to be is, is a long, long, arduous process. Um, and mm. then afterwards, Franchise Pictures actually got sued for fraud, I believe, because... Um, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because they were lying oh, about God. the budget or something. So um, it was <laughs> not good for them. And that actually bankrupted them at the end of the day. So this film no bankrupted a company of this poor guy who was like in nightclubs or whatever, trying to make, <laughs> make it big as a producer <laughs> or an exec, um, chasing his dreams. But, um, so yeah, the, this film is... And Back to the like dry it, cleaning place for him, I suppose. Back to the laundrette. Yeah, and I do feel like it really kind of stilted Barry, Barry Pepper's um, career as well. Because I, I felt mm. like he was. I think you mentioned he did The Green Mile <laughs> the year before or something. Um, <laughs> so like The Green Mile to, to this, and then it's just like nothing. Mm. Really fits. I saw he did True Grit, the, the remake, but... I don't remember him, and um, so yeah, a lot of a lot of careers maybe maybe taken by this film. Though Forrest Whitaker then went on to do um, Last King of Scotland, so and then but it's, it, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. Again, it comes back to that thing of like with Jupiter Ascending. Like maybe I maybe I have a naive idea of filmmaking, right? I just have a na naive idea. Filmmaking in this case, we was yeah spearheaded by a star, and you just think, how did you end up in this? And how did Forrest Whitaker end up in this? And how did, you know, you said to me that the cinematographer uh, didn't have the lowest lighting budget he'd ever worked with or something, is that what you said? And this is a $75 million film, you know? Mm -hmm. You said to me, like, Funny didn't you say the, the writer got involved because he heard that the Scientology Celebrity Center was a great place to meet women? <laughs> yeah, it's just a series of unfortunate events. Um, but I mean, yeah, I don't know where, where the money went because the graphics aren't that good. It's year 2000, which is, you know, like obviously I don't expect the best, but for that budget, I actually do expect something pretty, pretty, it looked like 
PlayStation 1 graphics at times. Um, yeah, it's just a bit rough. But, but we are looking for potential. And is there potential here? And I would tentatively say sure. I mean, it's such a simple story. Like, it's, it's like mind-numbingly simple. Like, oh, the planet, there are aliens on the planet, essentially. They're trying to take away our freedoms and kill us and enslave us, which is like, so I feel like all aliens come to do that to the planet at some point yeah. in films. Yeah. And um, we need to fight for our freedom. So it's like Braveheart, but with like, you know, aliens or whatever. Um, and well, I, I, I mean, I think that the 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 the, the, the parts at the beginning, where we we were enjoying it, we we liked the kind of it was kind of refreshing after Jupiter ascending to watch something that had a bit of it was a bit campy and a bit like I liked we liked John Travolta's performance in some ways. <laughs> I know it's mad, but it's just like one of those like yeah, let's just go for it kind of performances. I mean, he didn't go full Eddie Redmayne. That's a, another side of things. But the film yeah. doesn't have a super serious air to it, to me, which is I find enjoyable. If this had been a dark... I mean, it has that element. But, you know, if it was a super self-serious philosophical work, like Jupiter, Jupiter Ascending was trying to be, then it veers into the ridiculous in the wrong way. But because it had a, a kind of campiness to it, it was enjoyable, right? Yes, especially like I thought John Travolta was pretty. Maybe he gave himself all the good lines, but like and all the good scenes. <laughs> but I thought him and Forrest Whitaker's character had a really nice rapport, and there was like something a bit like cheeky about it. At one point, he like orders like three drinks at a bar, and then he's like, "Put it on my tab," and the barman's like, "You don't have a tab." And he just like grabs the drinks and like scurries away like a child, <laughs> and it's really amusing for some. Oh, and he says, he says, "I do now." He's like, "I do yeah. have a tab now." He's like, "Oh, okay, you do have a tab now. Oh, fine." Yeah, <laughs> and it's something I I don't really I didn't really expect from that film. And then like there's a part where it, like hits his leg or something, and like there's a shot where Forrest Whitaker gets his arm shot off, and he has no expression on his face. It's so funny, and um, I kind of I kind of do enjoy that. I I would say like. Him and Forrest Whitaker probably were my favourite parts of the film. Um, yeah. And then it was really noticeable towards the second half of the film when they weren't around because it felt like mm. things just slowed down so much. And none of um, Johnny Goodboy, <laughs> Johnny Goodboy's like little gang had any charisma to them as much as uh, Forrest Whitaker, who, no. whose character wasn't exactly the most exciting, but he was... He made something of it, mm. um, which is which is kind of funny because like obviously Jupiter Ascending had the same issue where like the protagonist was this boring lump of wood, and mm. obviously the antagonist was essentially taking taking on the spotlight in a mm. bad way for Eddie Redmayne. Um, so yeah, that that's something positive I take from it. Um, I do think that John Travolta does have. I don't think he's like the greatest actor ever, but I do think there's something very watchable about him that he brings to the story. Definitely. I can't believe I'm saying that. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying that about Battlefield Earth, but um, I was entertained. So yeah. So yeah, I think I think so. So the, the yeah the characters are there. Was aspects of the characters that was interesting, I suppose. Um, what else? I mean, the look of the film was disgusting. Yeah. Absolutely <laughs> disgusting. It was like either they'd like, you know, I don't know, put like a piece of blue plastic over the lens. So some, some of the lighting was just obscene. Yeah. Uh, like the camera angles are so close that you, you often you look at people's chins and they're like the, their right shoulders and their head was slightly out of frame. It's just like, yeah. what? It's How like, can, you can't blame that on a budget. You can't blame that on a budget. That's like a no. choice. That's a real like, look, look into the viewfinder. Man. Did someone not... Did someone call action without checking what the angle was of the camera? <laughs> you know, uh, it 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 just sets. There's so many like so many levels, isn't there, to a film? How bad a film can be? You can get your bored, boring films. You can get your obscenely, hilariously bad films. You can get your like offensive films. You know. Uh, and this wasn't really like any one of them. It was like a mix of all those, you know. 
there are aspects of it where you felt like literally offended that you were spending your time watching it. But then there were scenes that were like funny. There was actual humor in it. Like when he hit his head on the, on the ceiling and he'd asked, he said, I think, what do they call the humans? They called them like, uh, land animals or something. Yeah. Land animals. Yeah. Something like that. And he said like, you were meant to get the land animals in here to fix that. Right. Cause the ceiling is too low for their species or something like that, you know? <laughs> so there's some, there's some fun little bits, but yeah, well um, yeah, exactly. And like, there's a moment where they go to their home planet that we watched earlier, that bar scene that you were mentioning. And we were kind of interested in that. Uh, I don't know, because you, you just you just you go with the flow of a film. If you're watching a film, you know it's not Shakespeare. You don't really mind. It doesn't have to be deep and powerful, does it? You know, it just has to have something to latch onto. And I, I do honestly think, in aspects, this film is absolutely destroyed, pan. Mm. You know, but I, I I enjoyed it in more ways than I did Jupiter Ascending. I think. They, I mean, I don't know if you agree on that. Oh yeah, definitely. I thought I found this at least like entertaining to watch. I just thought Jupiter Ascending was just like a slog, um, yeah. and it didn't matter how like it had the opposite situation where it was actually very beautifully shot at times. But mm. I just didn't care because I didn't care about the world. Um, but in this one, at least there was a bit of depth to, to some depth to characters. Not yeah. Johnny Goodboy, not that fucker. He was boring <laughs> as shit. <laughs> Um, he does not have a single like expression other than mildly upset throughout the entire film. Did you notice that? I don't it's think he cracked a smile once. Kind of like uh, the Wachowskis watched this film. Mm. I wonder if they I, did. I wonder. You know, because yeah. you've got you know the the Milikunis Jupiter characters it's very similar. Yeah. Um, I would well actually I'd actually probably say that Milikunis's character has less personality than this guy. Would you, I think um, she has less agency for sure. Like she didn't. At least Johnny Goodboy tries to like run away five times unsuccessfully, but like Lena yeah. Kunis just doesn't do anything in that film. Jupiter's he gives like, a rousing speech to his fellow rebels to get them. Yes. You know. True. Yeah, he has long, long, gorgeous hair. Yeah. <laughs> That's a personality think, trait. Yeah, they all look like Alice in Chains members, as I said earlier, straight out <laughs> a grunge band. Um, but uh, you know and. The, 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 I'd love to know if, if um, you know, when it was being made, were they aware? You know, were they aware what they were doing? Because, like, you, there's some of those wider shots of, of the, psych, what are they called? Cyclos. Cyclos. Cyclos walking. And, like, because <laughs> of they're just actors on stilts in these big bodysuits, whatever, they have this kind of weird gait to their walk. And also the shoes that they're wearing, just to prop up their height a bit, are like giant goth platform shoes. Yeah, I know. It was very, like, very that. So if you saw that, if you were like, and action, and you just saw those characters, you'd have to think that was funny, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know, you maybe not. Be, you must um, be somewhat aware. Although maybe they would think that like, oh, this is like sci-fi, so everyone's meant to be like, like like a bit goofy and a bit like yeah. this world and stuff. Um, <laughs> this is just what it's like on a sci-fi set. Um, what do you think was the what do you think was the Scientology aspect of this though? I have literally I was I googled this. I was like, what what is the meaning behind Battlefield yeah. Earth book? And nothing really came up. Like I don't I feel like it is a metaphor, but like you and I both discussed like what it could be about, and nothing really I feel like came up. Um, Obviously, I don't, I don't know, like, obviously it's like, are the humans meant to represent, are we being, are we being enslaved by someone that we, we're not, like, on this planet right now that we're not seeing? Like, if you think about it, these, these people, these cyclos come onto this planet to find gold. They've been here for, like, God knows how long to mine fucking gold, um, mm. which is probably the most basic, um, like mineral objects that you need why they need gold is beyond me like is that a gold. currency in space i don't know like are they fucking, fucking using gold pocahontas you know yeah like they're not using money they're using gold like that's <laughs> not really i don't feel like that was at least i didn't hear that going into detail um so first of all why <laughs> and is that meant to represent like the rich is that meant to like who likes gold on this planet that could possibly enslave us? I don't know. So, it plays into that childlike aspect of the plot, though, doesn't it? Yes. Because it's like if if you ask a child what's the most valuable thing in the world, they'd probably say gold or you know something like that. Or yeah. It's like you know the pirate booty or whatever. So 
Yeah, it's like just um, the most basic plot point for a film. Um, yeah. And it, it does make me wonder, like, I'd be a bit more disturbed if it was like just not meant to represent anything. It was just a, a, a space adventure of this like good boy, literally a good boy, who's like fighting for humanity. And it's like, uh, hasn't that story been told before like a million and one times in like a million different forms? Um, but I guess, I guess he wanted to tell it again. <laughs> well, like the beautiful thing about this is that it was yeah, obviously all entirely spearheaded by John Travolta. So, yeah. you know, as you already said, he takes a, he took a pay cut and he like flew his private 707 Boeing on location scouts secretly. Uh, it was the most expensive production in Canadian history, I think. Um, and, but what's astonishing is that obviously to get it to the screen was a, a long, long, like decade long process. Mm. And usually you do, you do that for stories that are like classics or, sure. you know, masterpieces or, you know, things that are ambitious or, uh, like Stanley Kubrick had that Napoleon film he always dreamed of making, <laughs> uh, and it all got trounced because this film called, uh, Waterloo came out, I think, and mm. like completely bombed. So you didn't get a chance to make it, but, so there's always these like there's these passion projects that go on, but John Travolta's passion project was this like basic bitch, you know, <laughs> kiddie sci-fi book, uh, I, which I don't see it has any like real impact or yeah, no, maybe it does for him, maybe it did for him, I don't know, but it's just such a shame in it because he's a great actor, John Travolta, mm. in, in certain spots. Uh, you know, Saturday Night Fever obviously is the one everyone remembers he was he's great in that film and it's a great film uh he was in the people versus oj simpson the um yes. he played uh uh what's, yeah, one of the lawyers ben shapiro i think was his name he was ben great shapiro. ben shapiro is no, not the, not, the not, guy. not ben shapiro what's his freaking name something shapiro but <laughs> yeah yeah that would be confusing if they cast ben, john travolta playing ben shapiro in the oj trial that's my spec script i'm developing or uh, that's my passion project okay don't laugh that's my passion project um the ben shapiro the ben shapiro biopic is going to be a masterpiece i'm writing it every day and john travolta might seem a bit too old to play a ben shapiro but you know he's he's a comedian so no, no, it's not um, really gonna, it's fine. Um, uh, yeah, and he was in Face Off, of course, uh, one of the greatest action films ever made. Um, and he actually does play his character in Face Off a little bit in, in Battlefield Earth, which is maybe why I enjoyed the performance. But um, I think he plays a villain really well. I really, I prefer him playing like a villainous character. He's just not a face he, was having, he was having fun with it. Uh, yeah. Like the reason, that's that's a basic thing, is it with films? That's something to learn, maybe, is that when you've got someone who's really enjoying the material, loves the material, uh, mm. who's involved in it, they often give uh, their best work or their best performance or their best, yeah. you know, and that's important. Having that underlying passion, not just seeing it as like a, just something to get on the CV or something. Try and try and find an aspect of it that's your, that you're passionate about, because obviously he yeah. loved the film and he put his he put five million dollars of his own money into it and. Um, yeah. and yes, there's a reason every scene that he's in is enjoyable because you, you, you see it, he doesn't have that like awkwardness or that stiltedness. He, he's going for it because he enjoys it and that makes his scenes enjoyable. It's kind of a basic equation, isn't it? Yeah. He's actually a very confident performer in this, I think, um, mm. in a way that someone like you, you won't see it in Barry Pepper or like any other actor other than maybe, or Schwarzenegger again. Um, so yeah, but maybe he took he took it as like um, he was like I took a pay cut, so I got to do like this this film better be good type thing. I, but every, uh, everything else that I'm done. Yeah, I mean I think the slightly nefarious side of that though is that he has this passion. Seemingly he had this passion for the project, but like a lot of the returns or whatever the returns would be from the film would then be funneled back into Scientology related organizations mm. and. Mm. That's when it gets a bit muddy because then you're like, well, it's just because it's a, it's a kind of like, I think someone mentioned, I read an article that said that um, you're basically pitching Scientology indirectly, right? Because mm. if any kid watched that film, and God, God knows they hope they don't watch this film, but 
if they did watch this film when it came out and they're like, mommy, what's Scientology? Or, you know, then they start learning about what that is. That's like a way of indoctrinating in some ways, you know, that's, that's mm. like the sinister reason why this is quite a childlike story in some ways, uh, because yeah. of its simplicity in that way, it can attract younger minds, I guess. Is that something that mm. they were actually thinking of trying to do with this film? I don't know, maybe. Yeah, but I would have thought they would have tied it more in with like um, their beliefs or something. Like I, I know that they believe in they believe in like aliens coming to the planet or something. I I found out ages ago, but I just didn't care enough to remember it. I think they're um, called Thetans, or there's like a yeah. Thetan level. Is that yeah, something? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Bionetics. Yeah, something like that, and they believe that the more like I don't know. Actually, I don't actually know. Actually, but, let me just, let me just read this off to you. This is from the sure. the storied Wikipedia page. Scientology followers believe that a human is an immortal spiritual being, in brackets, mm -hmm. Thetan, that is resident in a physical body. The Thetan has had innumerable past lives, and it, it is observed in advanced Scientology texts that lives preceding the Thetan's arrival on Earth were lived in extraterrestrial cultures. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. basically, aliens are a big part of Scientology. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's kind of like, I would have thought they would have wanted to there there are ways that you can you can kind of have that in in the story i think um or maybe can you i don't know i think it would probably go against the whole cycle is being on the planet stripping us of gold um as if people like also this is a time this is a set in a time where like people are essentially back to being cavemen like literally fighting with sticks and like a bit of glass on a stick and stuff mm. um and like the idea of just the contrast between, I guess that's part of the story maybe, like the contrast between these cavemen and like these aliens wanting gold, which is obviously like very, very valuable for like us as normal humans in normal times, but it's just like extra stupid. Um, <laughs> that it's a time where so someone, turned up the, someone turned up the dom domometer to, to 11. <laughs> yeah, like they've been mining it for so long and like the humans are just like, what are they doing? <laughs> I don't know what's going on. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It just makes me it just like the impression it gives me is like maybe humans just maybe they deserve to just like, you know, go be cavemen <laughs> in this world. Um, but yeah, so the film, I don't know what's worse, the script or the actual production itself. I kind of lean towards like well the script's not that good but i do think the production makes it a thousand times worse because of like the camera angles which is kind of makes it a little bit unwatchable if i'm honest unless you really want to watch it like we did mm. um the sound i don't know whether it was just like the one that we watched like maybe the tv has an issue but jesus christ they would like whisper and then every explosion would be like as if it was happening right in front of you like someone had dropped a fucking nuke in your room um and it was so horrible so the sound design is bad which I feel like it's usually the first thing to go in like a quote unquote bad film because um, they don't pay attention to anything else. Why would they pay attention to sound? Mm. Um, so it was one of those bad. The sets were, uh, they were like recycled. <laughs> it was like the sets the are the kind of sets that uh, uh, are common in like student short films. Yeah. Where, yeah. You know, it's, because it's, it's all you can afford. Yeah, derelict warehouse spaces uh and industrial estates um with like a very obvious cgi background but you know these these things are all kind of like you know to be expected in some ways it's it's, it's known to be a bad film I, i'm really trying to like kind of interrogate what we can take from it what, what nuggets can we take from it um you know like I like, again i've said this before like anyone with the, with the 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 desire to build a, a story world you know an original story world i know this is based on a novel but and try and bring that to screen you know there are aspects of like the cyclos that i found in, enjoyable and i thought that was done well i thought that you know that you don't see much of their lives outside of this story or their worlds but you know they're, they're, they're like an interesting i mean they look weird but they're like an interesting creation at least and it's like every time they'd be on screen you, you pay slightly more attention than zero. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and I also did, I do think something to take away from it is that it, it comes back to the thing I said before, not having to be quite so self-serious with these, some of these things. Um, uh, like the bits about this film I enjoyed, 
are it's ridiculousness and it, not saying ridiculousness like i'm laughing at it um it just it never it never crossed into that like again i'll reference it the Rachowski syndrome of of over philosophers oh, i can't say that word philosopher <laughs> philosophizing yeah. philosophizing is that a word philosophizing um oh my god yeah is that a word have we lost iq watching this film philosophizing yeah that is a word Phlebotomy. <laughs> yes, phlebotomy. Exactly. That's what I was trying to say. Um, you know, there's a tendency on their part to just just drudge everything down. Like the Matrix films yeah. so deep in that shit. Like I said it last week, like or like the last episode, the first Matrix film is a masterpiece because it's tight and it doesn't take itself too seriously. Uh, mm. I think when they get to like revolutions, it gets so on the nose. Okay. And this was just like a kind of a schlocky kind of you know i wouldn't say it was like a romp because <laughs> there were parts <laughs> of it where you 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 do literally turn off your mind and you just mm. i don't know about you but something to not take away from this is the style of editing in action sequences where nothing has any spatial relation to anything else so shots are placed in a like a, a linear line next to each other where you'll see someone shoot a gun and then uh, they see a crowd of people running and no one gets hit with that shot. So like, <laughs> who got true. hit with that shot? And there's yeah. so much of that. It's so disorientating. I feel like you have to really concentrate on this film because it, it does kind of overwhelm you with its disorientatingness. Yes, yeah, I agree. I agree. I also find like, um, I mean, I don't expect the action sequences to be amazing, but like, the action sequences were always like when people were fighting like very close ups and like cut rapidly and i remember watching this video about i think it's called like every frame a picture every frame a painting or something like that yeah YouTube. that youtube channel yeah, yeah and it, it goes through like jackie chan films and how he would have well maybe he personally wouldn't have but like he would have had some hand in talking about how it cuts um the action scenes and mm. you know when you're a confident performer I suppose like with choreography which is what he was specializing in um you know you know how to make it look realistic and you know you don't have to hide anything so you can film it in a wide shot and film like the actual impact and mm. then cut to the next next one um as appropriate but mm. when you don't have a choreographer on set because you barely have enough money for, <laughs> for the cinematographer then you know you, you probably are just like yeah like wrestling which is something that we we had experience of like filming an action scene um with, with no like, knowledge or money <laughs> <laughs> exactly and like being very precarious with like actor safety um so you do have to yes. like find ways around it a little bit and i i kind of think like a lot of this is a, a reflection on the director's vision and his mm. experience as well i think well, as we know, he was a—he just come off being a second unit director on *The Phantom Menace*, mm. so he's obviously got a, a pedigree of, of quality filmmaking behind him. <laughs> um, um, aren't you curious just to see which scenes he did uh, in *Phantom Menace*? Like, you know what? You know, what you know what I'd like miss though about *Phantom Menace* is that he would just put the fucking camera on a tripod and leave it. Yeah. Like he wouldn't move the camera. He would yeah. do. He, he was almost like fucking. Um, he was like a like a shit ass Wes Anderson where he wouldn't frame his shots properly, but he would just not fudge with it too much. I think watching yeah. that after watching that for that would be like a, like a massage with my eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it looks like Lawrence of Arabia compared to this. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Battlefield Earth is like the Guy Ritchie version of a version of a sci-fi film. You know, everything's fucking nut jobs and mad and, um, <laughs> Imagine if they introduced every character like a Guy Ritchie film and they're talking in like an East London accent. Oi. Like, I'm Tell. Oh, I'm Tell. Have you got your fucking gold already? Come on. <laughs> you fucking bad. That'd be much better, actually. If they're into like <laughs> Cockneys, Battlefield Earth 2, you know, Beast from the East or something, I don't know. Um, yeah, Ray, oh, mate, Ray Winstone in like that big cyclone gear. You know, and he's oh, got a big God. cigar and he's in a big like armchair. He's like, you're right, mate. Where's my fucking gold? And he's just like, oh my God. Cyclones are here. 
They come back from the east, the east side of London. Because I bet, I mean, in this world, it's Battleford Earth, so I bet the east end of London is invaded by these guys. I bet there are cockneys down there getting mined. I mean, what would they be mining in East London? <laughs> we'll, we'll leave that question up. Oh, God. Oh, get down the fucking MDMA mines. Start mining that crystal. All right, let's go. Let's have a night out. Yeah, session. Session. <laughs> session. Uh, God. Um... Do you, just... So obviously we know what we're talking about. So, um, you know, like when we're, when we're picking up other people's ideas and they say, well, what can you come up with? I think we've just proven that we can come up with quality content. Yeah. I was going to say like, um, you know, if you, if you were the director or the producer or the writer on this, how would you share or all of it? If you were the author, you already know, <laughs> shut the cockneys in, get Robinson involved. And then close the door and let him let him have it. Uh, uh, the first thing you do, hire Guy Ritchie. If he's not, if he's not there, then just watch Logstock and Two Smoking Barrels over and over again and see if you can cut in Battlefield Earth shots. It's can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine Brad Pitt's character in Snatch, but as a cyclone? So he's just like that gibberish. I think he's Irish. He's got the Irish accent. You can't yeah. understand what he's saying. You like, just like, you like dags. You like dags. Like dags. He's just like uh, he lives in a caravan, <laughs> but he's in full cyclone gear. It's like the caravan's made out of gold or something. I don't know. Um, oh, no, I mean, th th this film was meant to be, as you said, it was meant to be a two-parter. And I just looked up. <laughs> this is astonishing. The book in which it was based on was a thousand pages long. Oh Jesus! A thousand pages. So they got 500 in and this is what they came up with. So in some ways, I mean, wouldn't, let's be frank here. Wouldn't you want to see a part two to this? Yeah, I'm curious because at the end of this film, um, spoilers again, but at the end of this film, Tell loses. He actually loses one of his arms and then he's locked in a cage surrounded by gold in Fort Knox, which by the way is just like the most American thing I've ever heard. <laughs> like, Oh, you just you should you should also mention the reason he's there is because there was a battle just before it which involved uh, a lot of these trained rebels who are basically, as you said before, cavemen uh, yes. who had learned to fly uh, F-16 fighter jets by sitting in a still-powered flight simulator inside Fort Knox that had been dormant for a thousand years. So you yes. should probably preface that with that. I almost forgot, yeah, there are some like serious plot issues towards like the latter, well, I say latter, but the, the only ones I noticed were like... What, like the after the start of the film? <laughs> <laughs> after the credits. Um, Post-intro, post there's some serious plotting issues. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't know about that. I think that's just, also, I don't know if that's the same as in the book, but that is just incredibly lazy writing, though. Like, that is, mm. I expect more from any writer of sci-fi with a brain. Um, but the man wrote... What, 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 what would you do, sir, if you were, if you were directing, producing, writing? If, as, as, a, as a budding screenwriter yourself, what would you do with this? If this landed on your desk and you were tasked yeah. with the rewrite, and not, not just a rewrite, like... We need to rebuild from the ground up. It's not getting any traction. What would you do? Um, well, I haven't. Okay, so just based on the plot of the film, not of the book, I probably wouldn't follow super closely to the book because it kind of like I know they actually cut a bit about Scotland. I saw from the uh, synopsis on Wikipedia. Um, mm. So they clearly didn't have a budget to go to Scotland. I don't think that was a choice on their behalf. But mm. um, I'd probably just take elements of the story. So you have this you know, the savior of mankind or, you know, America um, in the year 3000 or whatever. And these cyclos are taking, stripping the earth of its precious minerals. I would probably just have something a bit more personal tying him in with the story. Because right now he just kind of, as far as I know, his father, I think, is taken. But I don't think we see him. Uh, do you remember seeing him or hearing about him? I don't really remember. No. So I'd probably have him have more stakes to do with the cyclos. And mm. I would actually be interested to see a relationship between Turl and Johnny. This is the good boy. Um, mm. You know, because 
they have something that each of them want, like Carl wants the gold and he's also kind of a rebel and Johnny's obviously like uh, the saviour of humans. Um, and it would be nice to see like a bit of a tug of war between them. I think that would add like a really yeah. interesting element. Um, and then we can almost have them like playing chess <laughs> against each other mentally. And then towards the end, it's the big showdown between the humans. And instead of using F-16s, maybe just something just a bit more, I don't know, down to earth that doesn't require like military um, equipment. Mm. Um, this is kind of like a film from a bygone era, isn't it, in that way? Because mm. like I'm talking about the aesthetics of it and the tone of it. You don't get these kind of films anymore, these sci-fi films, the mm. schlocky kind of, um, pulpy, you know, yeah, like pulpy kind of films. Like, I mean, I mean, John Travolta did say in an interview, I also read this, he said this was a pulp, fic pulp fiction set in the year 3000. So, you know, there you go. <laughs> literally can't see any link between yeah, those doesn't make any sense. apart Gibberish. from him. <laughs> yeah, but the words of a madman, but um, uh, the what I'm saying is like it's kind of a bit of a relic yes. in that way because now the sci fi you're getting on this budget or this kind of scale, something like a Dune or something like that. Like, I watched the Dune mm. trailer, I don't think anyone laughs in that trailer. I wonder if anyone laughs in this the whole film. Like, that is probably my most anticipated film, but mm. you know, it's not going to be. It's not going to be many, like, people aren't going to bash their heads and say, why did you not get that, you know, ceiling fix or whatever. Uh, and it sounds like a small thing, but I think yeah. that, I think that post pandemic, I'm worried that those films might not quite land. Cause I mean, specifically, and I'm going for a tangent here, but it's still sci-fi related, uh, specifically with like something like a Dune, cause also based on a really large book, you know, and they're splitting mm -hmm. it into two films. It has slightly like, it's not going to be, it's an amazing director, you know, and a great cast and Roger Deakins is doing the cinematography and stuff. So, but you know, they're, they're, they're based. Yeah. And they're, they're, ba but they're basing a lot of future projects on the success of this first one. Like they were trying to do with Battlefield Earth. Um, you know, they, they've got a second film planned, uh, which is going to be like the second book. And, um, if the first one doesn't do well, then, then it, it might not click. So, um, and I just hope that because it's going to be much darker tone post pandemic, it's not really going to land. And like, I almost yeah. think a tone of something like a Battlefield Earth would land better. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know about you, but the films I'm looking forward to going to the cinema aren't necessarily like the, the dramas or the, or the, you know, historical vibe, but you know, it's, uh, you want to yeah. see some, rock, you know, a lightness. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's always nice to have a bit of like a bit of comedy mixed in with a bit of sci-fi and stuff like that. I think that dark sci-fi is is I feel like it, it is going to be in for a while, depending on actually how well Dune does. Because I kind of felt like Blade Runner was similar. Like I didn't like the um, the Denis Villeneuve one. I didn't feel like there was much humor. Not that I thought that there was much humor in the original Blade Runner, but like it continues to be like very colourful and very bright and very beautiful, but um, very serious, totally. Mm. Maybe Harrison Ford has like a joke, like a one-line joke, <laughs> and that's about it. But it's yeah. um, it's not like, you know, just a fun old time in space. Um, it's not like that, which is what this kind of is, you know? like. Well, um, I think the films like this have just, they've become so much more serious. That's what I mean. Like, this is like at a... Yeah. Just uh, when the when the budgets get that big, they have these big like aimings of grandeur about them. Some of these films, yeah. and I don't. I mean, I like. I used to like that a lot more when I was like a film student and younger, because I I thought everything sci-fi was incredibly deep and meaningful. But I think as I've grown a bit older, I kind of value this tone a bit more. Yeah, um, I agree. I agree. I think people equate like seriousness and like hard drama with quality. Um, yeah because genre does tend to tend to or at least traditionally has tend to gone off and go off in the deep end um so that's why i like um bong joon ho's like work is is usually i can't believe i'm <laughs> mentioning bong joon ho and talking about battlefield earth but like he has this real <laughs> style that is very serious but does have a real like cheekiness and a and a sense yeah. of humor to it at all times even if it's to like touching upon serious subjects um 
and yeah, and it's proof that you can bring levity into into a story. It doesn't need to be just dreary all the time and like cold yeah. tones. <laughs> so that's um, something else to, to draw out from it. That's I think a, a positive. I mean, it, it's 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 not a good film. That is not going to change, and it's not. It wasn't received at the time very well, but yeah. it had a certain, I guess, a certain charm to it because it was so mad, you know, and. Um, because as I, as I said, like when the budgets get that big these days, there's a, there's a sway towards the serious because you don't want to look ridiculous having spent $150 million. You'd rather look pompous, you know, if you're going to look a certain yeah. way. So, um, yeah, that's a positive to take. I yeah. Do you, do you regret watching this film? Do you regret spending two hours of your life on this film? <laughs> no, I don't. Okay. But... Yay. Yay, but uh, <laughs> there are there are large parts of the two hours I can't remember already, and I watched it an hour ago, so <laughs> that's, that's yeah. not great, is it, really? You're supposed yeah. to at least think about a film for a day before you forget it forever, but I can't remember what I just saw. Uh, <laughs> a fever uh, dream. <laughs> no, um, no. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to think, like, um, I'm just starting to... S- to see it in like Guy Ritchie style now, like in my mind. <laughs> God. Fast editing and quick talking cyclos. Um, well, that's what the, that, we do need more. We do need more British sci-fi stories. So maybe this could be the one that cracks the cracks the code. Yeah. Um, you, you, you know, what? I'll do um, part two of Battlefield Earth spec script and uh, see if anyone bites. <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Okay. Well. Okay. Here's. here's I think the final question. Final question. What would be Battlefield Earth 2? Like what, what happens in it? Yeah, just give me like the, the basic log line. Or we can I, I have, how, how, I've literally no idea. Their planet gets fucking blown up. So what, what could second half be? John Travolta's in a, in a jail cell surrounded by bars of gold. <laughs> John Travolta's oh. a one-man army and he, he repopulates all the cyclos single-handedly through mitosis. <laughs> No, but at, the, at the end of the film, they say that Barry Pepper's character comes up and says, oh, I know all the, the, there's probably thousands oh, of cyclos yeah. on their way here right now or something. So oh, I guess, like, that, who maybe that isn't the, the only planet, you know, um, right. but maybe colonized planets. I'd like the idea of like, um, maybe like Barry Pepper's character, the main character, the, the hero, he gets like coerced by John Travolta to like serve them. And then Forrest Whitaker's character becomes like a Kylo Ren-esque character where he like goes from the dark side to the good side. Maybe he yeah. sees the goodness in humans and saves the day. Yeah, that's yeah. my that's my stab at it. Yeah, definitely. I feel like it's tell um doing some like politically dodgy shit um to try and worm his way out of it. Um Tell's adventures is like House of Cards, you know, but with Tell instead. Tell's Adventures. <laughs> yeah, Tell's Adventures. <laughs> like oh. the thick of it, where like, they're all trying to like, um, they're all trying to um, make contact with the other cyclos. Um, yeah. But they're all just like shit at politics and communication. I think what I'd also do is literally, for no reason that you can have to explain, you can just completely change their look. So they don't look like that anymore. Because it was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so just don't explain it. Just say this is Battlefield Earth 2 and this is what they always look like and try and trick people into thinking this is where they always looked. No, 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 you're just wrong. This is, this is, this is the real look for the cyclists because the way they look now is mad. Especially, not to be sounding sexist, but the women especially look mad in, in the makeup because they have these giant oh. heads. And that, yes. that woman, you said there's that woman, at one point John Travolta's character is like in a bar and he's got a woman next to him of his same species and she's got this... <laughs> Really long tongue. <laughs> I think, yeah, they all have long tongues. I think that's part of yeah. it. So the men are like, you know, 17 feet tall and the women have like giant big brains um, and long big tongues. Big brains. They, <laughs> that's mega mind size brains. Oh my God. <laughs> and like, um, yeah, like they've got like really gothy looks. Yeah, I don't know. It was like very... this. The site clothes were very like school shooter vibes. Not gonna lie. It, it's just <laughs> it's like it's like the thin slice of an iceberg that this film was <laughs> flying towards was the way the main species looked, right? And they didn't. That's, if they got that first bit right, then 
you know, maybe they could have avoided the rest of the collision, but they just mm. it, like like the whole thing. What a what a what a creation! Like just what a thing what to a made, you know. Imagine oh. imagine if like you was getting into the film industry and this is your first big break, and then like you just decided I'm never going to make a film again because I've already <laughs> committed this to the world. I've I've offended so many people, <laughs> people's eyes and ears. I can't do this again. But um, oh, bless it. It's a weird fucking movie, but there's some good stuff. I think I, I hope I hope we found some good stuff. Do you think? I think so. I think so. I think we did. I I enjoyed it. Um, And I'll remember it, parts of it, for the rest of my life. I'll always remember you, Battlefoot, eh? (laughs) (laughs) To the day I die. I'm actually a giant, I might get a giant poster on my room of of, uh, John Travolta in the the big makeup. Just like really, like way too big, blown up to like, and I could just like put it above my bed or something (laughs) like that, just to really freak people out, you know? (laughs) Or maybe I can get some like fan art of like John Travolta and Forrest Whitaker's character like hugging or kissing or something like that. I bet that's out there. Don't you think? The fan art? Oh no, God, I don't think, don't you think? so. Jesus Christ. I don't I think there are You know what I'm looking up as soon, everything. As soon as this podcast is over, I'm looking up Battlefield Earth fan art. I'm gonna do it right now. So you can end the podcast while I do this if you want. You can <laughs> you can you can use that as like the picture on Spotify. Oh my god, I get banned. <laughs> to draw people in. <laughs> oh, oh, I bet there will be there will be fan art of the women though with their long tongues, definitely. I think you should find those. And that is that. <laughs> <laughs> that was Battle for Death. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you. Join Good us day. next time for the Ta-da. next horrific film. <laughs> <laughs>